Well, welcome back in, everybody, to the nation's college basketball show and podcast. It is college basketball coast-to-coast, and however you have found this show, whether it's a social media link or whether you found us through podcasting, uh, examples of Apple Podcasts or Spreaker or Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts, or if you found us through the TuneIn mobile app, we're there for free under the name College Basketball Coast-to-Coast. You see us right there for free on TuneIn outside of any subscription paywall. We are here now all the way through the Final Four talking college basketball, and I am very much excited to do so as we kick off another week off of a weekend that saw some wild action all across the country. We saw Kentucky complete the season sweep with Alabama. We saw Florida upset Auburn in the Southeast. We saw Duke take care of Florida State. We then moved to the Midwest. Kansas keeps rolling along, winning at West Virginia. You go to the upper Midwest and some very interesting play in the Big Ten, including the craziness at the end of Wisconsin and Michigan that we'll be talking about. But the Big Ten play on the floor saw Iowa win at Ohio State. It saw... Uh, Purdue avenge a half-court shot loss to Rutgers on Sunday. The top of the Big Ten going to be very interesting. Illinois bounces back from an awful performance against Rutgers, turns around and beats Michigan State again. So the Big Ten is interesting. You swing out west to the Pac-10 where Oregon lost at Arizona State Thursday, then had Arizona on the ropes all Saturday night before Arizona came back to win. Uh, Then on Sunday night, Washington State had USC in trouble only to have the Trojans come back and hit a last-second shot from Boogie Ellis to beat Washington State. UCLA keeps rolling along, so we've got a lot to discuss on the program, and I haven't even touched uh, on the brackets and what's going to happen just three weeks from now. In fact, to that end, straight ahead, Jerry Palm will be here from CBSSports.com and CBS Sports Network and CBS TV. Their bracketology, Jerry's their guy. He and I go back. A long time, almost 25 years, talking brackets on the radio, on podcasts, etc. I look forward to uh, to talk. And speaking of Purdue, he's a Purdue guy, so he's happy about the Big Ten. Jerry will weigh in on what the committee thought about the top teams like Gonzaga, like Auburn, like Kansas, like Villanova. We didn't even talk about the Big East. What a great comeback win for Providence uh, after they were losing the whole game, losing by as many as 15 in the second half to Butler. They come back and win. Villanova looks good. Villanova got the head-to-head win over Providence last week, but the Big East still very dangerous with some teams like uh, UConn and Marquette and Xavier still looming in that conference. What a knockdown, drag-out Big East tournament it's going to be. So anyway, we'll talk about seeding. We'll talk about what the committee's looking for and much more uh, coming up right here with Jerry Palm in just a second. Uh, Again, I love his insight. Follow him on CBSSports.com. And one thing uh, to keep in mind while we go over all of this is you do yourself a favor by just continuing to win games. The teams that end up being eliminated more times than not, blew one, two, maybe even three chances to win a significant game at the end of their season. In the power conferences especially, that's relevant. But even for the mid-major guys, a a slip-up at the end or two can be all the difference in what your overall resume ends up being. So it's a high-wire act for the teams that are in the Ohio Valley Conference, the MAC, the Mountain West, Uh, On and on, the American Athletic Conference. I mean, look no further than SMU beating my Memphis Tigers. Penny Hardaway's team had won six in a row. I'm a Penny guy. Go Tigers, go. Uh, He was there when I was there at the old Memphis State. But you lose that game to SMU. You now have one more significant game, a chance to prove yourself 
against Houston at home. If you don't win that game either, you don't have anybody but to blame but yourself for not winning the most important games, including if you don't do damage at the American Conference Tournament in Fort Worth. It's going to be the same way. So we keep an eye on all these conferences, all these different directions, and I'm anxious to talk all about it uh, here on College Basketball Coast to Coast. Let's get to it. Let's get it underway right now on the program. Talk brackets and much more right here. Yes, indeed. All is right with the world because he's back aboard with me. I hope he never gets tired of me saying this. I always love bringing Jerry Palm aboard because I've been doing it since the 1990s. That makes me feel old. Uh, hopefully it doesn't make Jerry too feel too old. He is my guest, after all, on College Basketball Coast to Coast. Good to be back with you again, and it is about to be that time. We are inside of three weeks of Selection Sunday. I know we're excited about this stuff. How are you? I'm doing great, uh, and I don't really need you to help me feel old. I do that perfectly well on my own. <laughs> I know, both of us, as the time uh, as the time goes by, that's for sure. Uh, all right, so the reason reasons that we have you here have to do in and around with the bracket, but one of the big reasons is the selection committee, uh, chaired by Tom Burnett, the Southland Conference Commissioner, did a bracket reveal, something they started doing a few years ago where they just gave you a peek at right now, what are they thinking, subject to change, obviously, three weeks out. Not a lot of surprises at the top. We should say again that Jerry was right there in New York on the CBS coverage and on the set. Were you that surprised by anything that they had in the first 16 of their reveal, breaking it up four by four by four by four? No, not really. In fact, this is the first time in the six years now that we've been doing this that my 16 teams matched their 16 teams, uh, although not necessarily in the same order. Uh, the top line was the same, but a little bit of shuffling underneath that. So I guess I can't say I was surprised by any of the teams that showed up. It was uh, it. They, there was, the thing that I think I learned from this was how head to head can be pretty important. It, it's always been a thing but I didn't really think of how decisive it was, but had Kentucky and Kansas been right next to each other on their initial list, Kentucky would have been ahead because of the win. But when they came up with their initial list, they had Kentucky four, Baylor five, uh, I'm sorry, Kansas four, Baylor five, Kentucky six. And they don't feel like it's fair to Baylor to move Kentucky all the way up ahead of Kansas when they felt that Baylor should be ahead of them as well. So, um, so that order was the same, but further down, they had Texas Tech and Tennessee right next to each other, and Texas Tech had beaten Tennessee in the regular season, and that was a big part of why uh, the Red Raiders were ahead of the Volunteers. So, you know, head-to-head uh, can play a, a very decisive role if these teams end up close enough together in the bracket. I was just going to uh, share that with the audience because you've talked about head-to-head -head with me all the time. It usually is not important unless it is like the fifth or sixth thing that they're going to use to decide to break a couple of teams, right? I mean, it's not up at the top that, hey, right. in the case of SMU and Memphis, who are neck to neck right now, SMU beat them twice, including Sunday. That must be the reason they're in and Memphis is in. It's, it is a reason, but it's not at the top of the list. Elaborate on that, Jerry. Yeah, so um... – so in this case, I mean, what he's talking about is, you know, we voted some teams into the bracket and we've got these two teams right next to each other and they've got a head to head result. I guess, you know, if they feel that it's compelling enough that they'll want to make sure the team that won the head to head matchup is actually ahead on the seed list. So if they didn't originally vote them in that way. They, they'll switch it so that it is that way. Uh, but if you've got teams in between, they're not going to, you know, 
penalize the teams in between by jumping somebody over them to get to create a, a, a situation where the head-to-head result takes over. So they, the teams really have to do be the, to do be right. The, the teams have to be right next to each other. You know, so in that case, you're talking about, you know, when you've got two teams right next to each other, that it's, it really is, you know, a very close match between those two teams and, you know, and then head to head can end up playing the decisive factor. No, no doubt about that. Jerry Palm again does a great job. CBSSports.com. He was in the studio this weekend when they began to talk bracket reveal. And I know you wanted to share this as well, that with all the COVID-19 craziness of the last couple of years, you finally got to be back in and around the guys, uh, Greg Gumbel, Seth Davis, Clark Kellogg, all the people with CBS Sports Network as well. Uh, and it's it's good that all of this is opening back up. Loud crowds in the arenas. We're going to have an NCAA tournament again, God willing, here in a few weeks where there's loud crowds, regional sites everywhere. This is good. We're getting back to some normalcy here. We like this. Yeah. The In fact, the commissioner talked about that. The One of the priorities for the committee is to make this tournament as normal as possible. You know, but obviously there are going to be local you know, health guidance, and, ver- and, and it'll vary from site to site, you know, like the San Francisco regional uh, is in California, where they have more restrictions going on than say the San Antonio regional in Texas. So, you know, they have to abide by whatever the local standards are, but they want this tournament to be as much of a normal tournament as they can possibly make it, uh, because they just feel that the, the tournament is better you know, when it is that way. I mean, last year we had everything in Indiana, in Indianapolis, and that was the best that we could do at the time. And we had a, you know, a great tournament, but so much is missing from the energy that the the fans bring to the tournament uh, to have all of that back is going to really be uh, very nice to have. All right. Always love these with Jerry Palm. So metrics are a big part of this. The math and all of that is a big part of your world. By the way, I again brag on Jerry that one of the reasons I gravitated to him in the late 1990s is you had figured out in large part the RPI math and the code and could replicate kind of what the the RPI was when it, when everybody was, wait a minute, how are they coming up with this number? What is it? So Jerry's a math guy. Interesting in that reveal of the top 16 teams, two teams I want to talk about, Providence and Wisconsin, the metrics don't have them in the top 16, or at least they didn't on the reveal uh, on uh, the weekend prior to Providence winning Sunday in a comeback against a bad Butler team. And then Wisconsin beating Michigan in the controversial game with the handshake line at the end. But let's talk about that a little bit there. They were rewarding more of wins and quad one wins than they were just going by the net ranking numbers that said Providence and Wisconsin aren't in the top 16 of the actual list. Elaborate a little more on that. Well, sure. I mean, look, if you're just going to seed these teams by the net rankings, you don't need a committee, right? Very true. the, the, the metrics, the RPI prior to the net and the other metrics that they talk about on the, on these team sheets, they've never been used to make decisions. That's not what they're for. Uh, the net ranking is being used exactly the same way the RPI was, which is to put your opponents into the quadrants on your team sheet. So the uh, rankings of your opponents are much more important than your own. Now, you know, if you're sitting there with a, a net ranking in the nineties or something, you're probably not going to make the tournament, right? There's a reason why your net is in the nineties. But the net is very heavily influenced by margin of victory, much like Ken Pomeroy's rankings, Jeff Sagarin's rankings, 
and the committee selection process is not. They, they don't really pay that much attention to margin of victory. It's really more about the quality of your wins, which, by the way, is measured in a large part by the net. So the, the net has an influence, but it's not your own net ranking that really has an influence. It's, it's how your, you know, your opponents look on your team resume. So, you know, for Providence, they have a very good record against a good schedule, a good resume, but because they haven't won games by big margins, the net ranking doesn't like them very much. That doesn't really matter to the committee. They want us, it's a results oriented process, much more than a margin of victory oriented process. So really, if all you have is a good net ranking and oh, let's talk about Iowa here, then you don't really have much. So Iowa has been right around 20 in the net because they're a very good offensive team and they can blow out some of the, the lesser teams that they face. They, they beat Maryland last week by about 100. You know, it, that helps you in the net. But their resume prior to the win at Ohio State over the weekend, which was huge for them, their best win prior to that was a home win over Indiana. And the only win that they had over a team that was a threat to make the tournament. Well, you know, if that's really all you have and the numbers say that you're great, but your resume looks like that, the committee can tell that obviously the metrics don't match the resume. They don't question the resume. They question the metrics. Why is this team so high in the rankings when the resume doesn't seem to bear that out? Well, the reason is simple margin of victory and that's not something they care enough about to put Iowa way up in the bracket now I guess we'll see what happens with Iowa of course they picked up that big win at Ohio State which is huge for them but their resume still does not justify what the a top 20 ranking for this team well said on that and again the win is the most important thing you and I are in agreement on that and unless they're going to advance teams for covering the spread and not for the outright victory then what are we talking about here and I got a smile out of Jerry Palm what are we talking about with margin of victory and just so people don't think we're just picking on Iowa Virginia Tech's another team I'm just going to bring them up they're 41 in the net but they are 0 and 5 in quad one wins they're 5 and 4 in the second quarter they don't have a single signature win according to the committee's metric so your point is they're going to look stronger at the fact where's the significant win versus the 41 in front of the name for the Hokies right now. That's, that's, yeah, I haven't, I haven't had Virginia tech anywhere near my bracket at all this year. It's just, they've never had anything compelling about their, their tournament resume to, to really give them a second look, you know, North Carolina is in a bit of that same boat as well. Uh, They, they swept Virginia tech. And they beat Michigan earlier in the season. And that Michigan win is the only win that North Carolina has over a team that's anywhere near the bracket. Now, they're not in my bracket today, but they've been kind of in and out. Uh, But they do have a ton of quad one losses. And up to about a week ago, the best thing you could say about North Carolina was, well, at least they don't have any bad losses. And then they lost at home to Pitt. So now they've got a quad four loss and no quality wins. And it's kind of hard to put North Carolina in the bracket when they haven't beaten anybody. All great points. Jerry Palm with me for a few more moments. CBSSports.com's Bracketologist. You see him under CBSSports.com. You'll see him on CBS TV and the uh, the Bracket uh, reveal coming up. CBS Sports Network as well. Love his uh, insight. Okay, you got to be proud of me because we went like 12 minutes here before I asked you about the ugly incident at the end of Michigan and Wisconsin that has everybody talking as the week begins here. Let me qualify again because, Jerry, people may hear us when Monday becomes Tuesday, later in the week, they're hearing us on podcast. They're hearing us as well streaming on TuneIn. We don't know what the punishment is right now. Educated speculation from Jerry and me is it's going to be multiple games for Jawan Howard. 
Greg Gard may even get a game for putting his hand on uh, Jawan Howard. There are players involved throwing punches that may get game suspensions or multiple game suspensions. So I'm disclaiming again, Jerry and I don't know that. So with that being said, you saw what happened. If it was up to you, what would you do with the coaches that are involved? And, and what do you want to say about the, uh, the situation there? Well, I don't know 100% what I would do because I don't get the information that the Big Ten office is going to get. They get to talk to everybody. They get to hear everyone's side. And I just, I'm seeing video and what may, people may have said in press conferences. Things went badly all the way up until Jawan Howard decided he was going to take a swing at somebody. But all of the stuff that happened up to that was somewhat provocative, perhaps. But we see, you know, competitive people argue with each other all the time. I mean, think about Bob Knight. I mean, Bobby Knight yep. would, would go after refs during games. He would yell. He would yell at anybody, you know, and lose his mind during games. He never threw a punch in a game. You know, and it's, nobody ever thought he would, you know. And Jawan Howard, first of all, he had an incident a year ago. Uh, when he had to be held back, restrained from going after Mark Turgeon in the Big Ten tournament. And then, of course, he got ejected in that game. And there was no punishment for him then, which was probably, in hindsight, a mistake. But now there's nothing you can do. I mean, he took a swing at another coach. And I don't care what Joe Krabenhoff said to him. I really don't. Uh, but unless he got you know close enough to, to threaten him in some way physically, there's no excuse for that. So you're going to have to address it, and you have to address it severely. There's going to be multiple games involved, and you got to wonder if Jawan Howard doesn't have some sort of anger management issue that he needs to address, whether it's now or in the offseason, because he seems to lose control a little bit too easily uh, in these situations. And he's got to be the adult in the room. You know, nobody started throwing punches until Jawan Howard took a swing at somebody. And that can't happen. You know, Amen. he's got to be the one, he's got to be the calming person not the one instigating and that that's why the big 10 has got to take significant action here would it shock you just real quick would it shock you if they gave him five games the rest of the regular season before the tournament do you think that'd be too much would that surprise no, you no not at all, all no right, let's see what they do. no i don't think it's too much and and let's see what they do again you may know as monday becomes monday night and tuesday etc you may know what they did i still think jerry at the time we're talking they're going to take a day or two to sort this out because again you've got players involved and they got to identify who is that guy that's throwing punches and are we giving that guy a game or two games uh, there are actual rules for the players right there's yeah i mean i think there's a minimum one game suspension for players or maybe it's even the actual rule is one game suspension for a player throwing a punch. And then the second one, your season's over. So, um, you know, the, the, but the players, they have specific rules for the coaches. They have more latitude. Yeah. Interesting uh, on that part of it, just an ugly scene and that part of it. And I could tell 50 stories. You know what I keep coming back to? I'm going to make you smile again. I call it sore loser idiocy. So you have sore loser idiocy at the end of this game where he's putting the full court press on down by 15 against walk-ons. You're asking for it. You're asking for it when, when you're doing things like that. Uh, take the L, let them dribble the clock out. That's that. I, I know it's heated. I know you're in a must-win mode. But, uh, you know, you're doing things to incite these the situation and ratchet things up, and then you're throwing the first punch if you're Jawan Howard. You can tell where I'm coming from uh, on that. Yeah, uh, nobody, sure. nobody's really 100% blameless here in, in terms of, you know, tempers rising. You know, the, the, the Wisconsin people, the Michigan people – you know, all had a part in the temperatures rising, but it's Jawan Howard who took a swing at somebody. 
Very true. Um, all right. In, in closing here, I know we're all excited to watch the finish. One more time for everybody else. Your resume is constantly changing, and it is going to be coming down to who you defeated, more so than anything. Uh, yes, some of it is where did you beat them, but the wins. Emphasize this one more. You've been through the mock selection process. You do this all the time, every college basketball season. And I, and I love you giving the same insight and advice here that the biggest thing is who are your wins? And secondarily, where did you beat those guys? That's what they're looking at the most as we come down the stretch, right? Not necessarily, but that's not unimportant. But you can't just ignore the losses because if we went by the standard that you just said, Rutgers would be a top 20 team. Because they have great wins, but mm -hmm. they also have a bunch of bad losses. And just, you know, seven, they've got seven of their 10 losses to teams that aren't getting anywhere near the tournament. They've got three quad, three and four losses. One of them's a 313 Lafayette, you know, at home. I mean, it's, those all count too. You know, you, sure. you, you can't just overfocus on the positive part of the resume because otherwise you, you end up with, you know, something that, you're overvaluing a small part of the season sure, but it, still, it all counts and still, you know for any yes, team the best yes, thing that you can do for your resume is to beat a quality team away from home that is the best thing that you can do for it and i didn't mean to interrupt but still at the end of the day so many teams don't make it because the committee comes right back out and says where are the wins you did not have enough of them win your games at the end and everybody has a chance uh, not only here in the final two weeks of the regular season, basically, but even on a neutral floor, even if you don't win the automatic bid, some teams make up ground, Jerry. We've seen it by winning a couple of huge games on a neutral floor in, in upset-minded situations. That's enough to get them across the finish line. It happens. It is. And we'll yeah, see. There's no question. The conference tournaments, conference tournament games don't count more than other games because they don't overvalue the committee, that is, when games are played. But the nice thing about conference tournament games is that they are, for the most part, neutral court games, which means that you can pick up quality wins away from home in a conference tournament. And sometimes in the regular season, you know, you're playing home and road. It's, it's a little bit harder to play on the road than it is to play neutral. Yep. And in a course of maybe 24, 36 hours, you've suddenly beaten two important teams on a neutral floor when maybe down the stretch of the regular season, you weren't even playing two important teams. That's how it dictates. That's why we love uh, all of this. Plug away again. One more time, as I have been doing on where we find all of your stuff, uh, et cetera, through CBS, your social media, all of it. Jerry, go ahead. Yeah, all my stuff is on the cbssports.com uh, website under uh, college basketball and uh, bracketology in particular. And then uh, on social media, you can find me on Twitter at uh, jppalmcbs, which is uh, the easiest place to find me uh, when you're looking for me on social media. He's always engaging. He's always going back and forth with people about the resumes and about what will happen down the road. I love leaning on his insight. I look forward to seeing what's happening. I don't know that I'm going to get to talk to you again before the bracket reveal, but I may catch up with you just before or just after, and I look forward to talking with you in and around Final Four time. We always seem to see each other around the Final Four. Jerry Palm, thank you. I appreciate you hanging with me again, sir. Thanks for having me on. It's always good to talk to you, TJ. All right. Again, I love his insight, the spirited debate back and forth. Just one more point, though, again, on the wins. Uh, understand where I'm coming from here on this. When you start comparing teams, and that's what the selection committee is going to do when they start getting down to the bottom of the at-large process. They have 35 at-large teams, and once you get to about number 31 or 32, it's not so obvious anymore on that team is definitely in 
what they will begin to do is compare you against others. For example, the Rutgers team that we were talking about lost to Purdue on Sunday night. Rutgers is 80 right now in the net. That's not the only metric that the NCAA Tournament Selection Committee is going to use, but they are going to take a strong look at the net ranking, yes, uh, above anything else in terms of metrics. But then you've got to look deeper at the wins. For example, for what Jerry just said about losses too, Rutgers has 6-6 Quadrant 1 wins. All right, so let's compare them to three teams that are right now, as we release the show on TuneIn and on podcast, College Basketball Coast to Coast, these three teams are all in the top 50 of the net ranking. Washington State is number 48. They have no Quad 1 wins. They're 0-6. Rutgers has six of them. When they go to compare, Indiana, who's playing Ohio State tonight, it's another quad one opportunity for them because it's on the road. I don't know the result of that game. Indiana's 43 in the net. They have two quad one wins compared to six for Rutgers. Virginia Tech is 41 in the net ranking. Virginia Tech playing again on Monday night against North Carolina. We don't know, or I'm sorry, uh, Virginia Tech not playing North Carolina. North Carolina I'm going to get to in a second. Virginia Tech... Uh, right now, 41 in the net, 0-5, 0-5 in quad one. Again, a, a Rutgers team, and I didn't go to Rutgers. I don't care. Uh, I'm just saying a Rutgers team with six quad one wins has the more compelling case to be in the tournament on, on that one. And you talk about names on the front of the jersey. And North Carolina, for example, they have the matchup with Louisville in the rematch on Monday night right away. The Tar Heels with that awful loss to Pitt. Uh, and Jerry was making reference again. North Carolina is 42, 42 in the net, and they have one quad one win. So again, these are teams that are going to get compared with Rutgers. And I'm telling you, the win factor, the number of wins, is going to come up big in the discussion because after all, it is a subjective process. It is a vote, um, and what that committee decides to do. All right, again, I don't know these results. Again, Indiana can help themselves with the game with Ohio State. Uh, UCLA, interesting with Arizona State. Arizona State has no case as an at-large team, but Arizona State messed it up for Oregon. A revenge game for UCLA on Monday night. We'll see how that one goes. I'm interested in the top 25 on Tuesday night. Florida helped themselves somewhat uh, with the win over Auburn, obviously at home. So the Gators have life at the moment. Here we go back to, again, trying to win games at the end of your season that can help your at-large case. Florida about to play Arkansas on Tuesday night in what is an enormous game for their resume as the Gators, again, can they get up emotionally, et cetera. Here we are again with a team that has 49 in front of their name in the net ranking, but just 2-7 and seven in quad one. This would be a quad one win against Arkansas, even though it's at home. If they can get the win, we'll see what the Gators can do in that matchup. I'm, I'm intrigued by Villanova-UConn on Tuesday night. UConn, again, could be a very dangerous team in the Big East. We'll wait and see if that's the case. They're safely in right now with their number of wins, and they don't have the bad losses that Jerry was talking about. What about Oklahoma? Just 4-10 and 10 in the Big 12, but they're playing at Texas Tech. A chance for the Sooners again to maybe get something done in quad one. Again, they are way down the list in the net ranking, and they're not going to have many chances like this to make up ground by getting some wins. We'll see if 
Oklahoma can do that on the road here. Enormous game at Texas Tech that won that game with Texas and Mark Adams's team as the first-year coach. Looks fantastic um, in that one. So, again, there's a look at some of the top 25 games early on in the week. Uh, and we will see how some of those have bearing. And again, for some of the mid-major conferences, they're wrapping up their final uh, week of regular season play because a lot of them begin tournament play next week. Uh, for a lot of them, the the smallest of conferences do next week, and, the, and we already start having some automatic bids go out in two weekends, uh, believe it or not, for leagues like the Ohio Valley, the Sun Belt Conference, the Missouri Valley. It starts going out, so regular season play is ending and is wrapping up. Uh, for a lot of these teams. All right, so there we go. That uh, that pretty well settles what we have early on in the week on College Basketball Coast to Coast. One more reminder, however you found us, a social media link, whether you found us through TuneIn and the app, it is also a podcast. This show is streaming on TuneIn. Whenever there's a new show, you'll hear it uh, start over again at the top and the bottom of the hour. There will also be live games on the TuneIn channel as well. Announcements upcoming of conference tournament championship games, as well as NCAA tournament and Final Four coverage on the TuneIn channel. And of course, you can catch all of the programming, all of the pregame programming or the weekly programming on podcast under College Basketball Coast to Coast. Search for us and find us under Spreaker, under iTunes, under Spotify, wherever you get podcasts. Take us with you. Listen to us on demand, either through TuneIn or through the podcast as well. My thanks again to Jerry Palm. Love his bracket breakdown. Check him out, cbssports.com and their coverage of college basketball. You'll see him on the TV some. You'll be reading him on cbssports.com. And remember, keep winning your games at the end of the regular season. That is your best tonic to get yourself into the big dance. Don't Not only don't take a bad loss, just keep winning. Win the most important games as well. And automatic bids that are up on the line too. You have your chance there as well. Follow uh, Jerry at JP Palm CBS for his Twitter handle. Follow us here at CBB Coast to Coast with the number two CBB Coast to Coast. For now, I'm TJ Reeves. Enjoy all the hoop action. Thank you for being with me on College Basketball Coast to Coast.